welcome to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Join us every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio for a look at the life, deeds, and words of Yeshua Messiah and his followers. From the Torah-centric Hebraic perspective, they were originally lived and written in. Today's program is on Matthew chapter 28, verse 11 through verse 20. What is the mission that Messiah gave us to go and do as his disciples? How does Messiah's command to go fit into Bible prophecy? And how is God working to accomplish that in our generation? What role does Eliyahu ben David and Zion Ministry have in that work? Stay tuned through to the end of today's program for Eliyahu ben David's insight on these questions and more in Matthew chapter 28, verse 11 through verse 20. And now, here's today's scripture portion. Matthew chapter 28, verse 11 through verse 20. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guards came into the city and told the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave a large amount of silver to the soldiers, saying, Say that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and make you free of worry. So they took the money, and did as they were told. This saying was spread abroad among the Judeans, and continues until this day. But the eleven disciples went into Galilee, to the mountain where Yeshua had sent them. When they saw him, they bowed down to him, but some doubted. Yeshua came to them and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. Behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Amen. And now, here's Eliyahu ben David with insight on that portion. Hello, friends. 
Wow. Just imagine what it must have felt like for the apostles when they saw Yeshua Messiah raised from the dead. Can you imagine that? Well, he entered right in their midst. And before he ascended to the Father, he gave them instructions. And through them, he gave us instructions. And that's so exciting. And what an exciting way for the book of Matthew to come to its very exciting conclusion. Yes, we've come all the way through the book of Matthew. And this is the point. This is the action step that Yeshua Messiah is giving us at the end of this book of Matthew. So it's so exciting. And that's why I have the big go showing the whole world, because that's our super huge mission, isn't it? To go into all the world with the authority of Yeshua Messiah and to make disciples in his name. And really, here at the end of the age, we have his promise, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And now, more than ever, this message is so critical. And people need to be saved out of this crooked generation. And it's our privilege to be a part of that. And it is something to think about, just thinking about what Yeshua did and how he came and did the part none of us could do. You know, he did all the heavy lifting, right? He started something. He made the way into the kingdom. And in the power of his victory and the authority that he gained through that, he began this work almost 2,000 years ago. And here we are. And we're doing it too. Because he is with us to the end of the age. That's so exciting. And he's going to be with us right until we see him when he comes back again sooner than you might think. So can you really make disciples at the mall? Well, yeah. You can make disciples anywhere. Can you really make disciples of your Christian friends? You know, that sounds a little bit ticklish, doesn't it? Because they think they're disciples already. But, you know, if we look here at what it says about making disciples, observing all that I commanded. You see, this is where the church has let many of them down. It's not their fault in the sense that they're looking to the church where they go for instruction. Now, this is probably not true of every church, but in many, many cases, they're given an easy kind of grace that sets aside the commandments of Yahweh. And so really, following this commission really very often involves sharing with Christian friends, as well as other people, if we're going to fulfill everything that's here. 
because this is an opportunity that we have today. And, you know, many, many folks really need us to point out the truths that we've been learning in the book of Matthew. And as I've been going through the book of Matthew, you know, I've just been so impressed and moved by who Yeshua Messiah really is. And that's been the effect of going through this book. And I hope that's been the effect for you, that you have felt that you've really got to know him better and you've got to see who he is and really been kind of dazzled by the perfection of his character. That's what draws me to him. That's what made me want to be a disciple. You know, I'd want to be his disciple even if he didn't die for me because of the person that he is. But, wow, just think about that. He gave it all. And then he comes back from the grave? This is not a small thing. (laughs) And he's got all this authority, and you know what? He gave it to us. We have this authority. We have authority over the powers and principalities of the air. We have authority to speak his truth. We do represent the kingdom in this world. You know, the world wants to tell you that you don't have any authority because they want to dominate you. Messiah says he has all authority, and he really is setting us free in the world to represent his kingdom with this big go that he gave us. And he's promised us, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And I can tell you from following him, for over 50 years, those words are absolutely true. He has been there for me from the time that I first was immersed and gave my life to him, and really even before then, throughout my life. Through all the ups and downs, by the way, because we all have them, don't we? But he's been there through it all. And no doubt he's been there for you. I wouldn't want to face this world in the end of this age without him, would you? And it's just such a wonderful promise. Just think, these are the last words of the book of Matthew. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That tells me he's thinking about us before he ascends to heaven, right? He's not just thinking about those disciples he was talking to, he's thinking about us too. And these words apply to us too. That's pretty impressive. Well, let's talk a little bit about making disciples and immersing them. If you were one of those first disciples, the apostles that he was talking to there, what would that involve? Making disciples and immersing them. Well, realize they were Jews, and immersion was not a new idea. Yohanan the Immerser, John the Baptist, adapted immersion, which was already practiced in that Jewish culture, 
for the particular purpose that he was sent forth for, and that is for repentance and for turning people towards Messiah. And then with these words, Yeshua is really instructing us to do a new kind of immersion. An immersion that brings people into the kingdom where they become disciples and learners from Messiah. And they walk with him in their life and they share this with other people and make disciples of them. This is a different kind of immersion. So the one thing all of these different immersions would share there where Yeshua spoke to them In that world, in the Jewish world, when it was time to be immersed, you'd go to a mikvah to be immersed. So where are we going to find a mikvah to be immersed? Well, I'm thinking maybe we'd need to go to Jerusalem and see if we could find a mikvah where we could be immersed. And... You know, an amazing thing happened to me yesterday. This always happens when I have a message, right? I have stuff fall into my lap to share with you. This happened yesterday. On the internet, I found some footage, video footage of something that I've wanted to have for years and haven't had, and it just fell into my lap yesterday, and it goes right along with our lesson tonight. Is this Yeshua being with us to the end of the age? Happens over and over again. So I took that footage and I edited it into a video for you. And let's share that now. Our adventure starts on Mount Zion in modern-day Jerusalem. In a neighborhood that is pretty out of the way, we find a rather strange structure. What could this be? We approach closer now. It's very unusual. What is that down there? There's steps going down there. This obviously isn't anything modern, but it's all locked up. I want to know what this is. Don't you? Why is it such a mess? But it's all locked up. Oh, someone tells us they've been down there. There's mikvahs down there where they had baptisms. The Greek Orthodox Church has a key. That's where we're going, to the Patriarchate of the Greek Orthodox Church in Jerusalem. Hey, they sent somebody to help us. Let's take a look. Wow, this is amazing. Let's go in. These are ancient stairs over 2,000 years old. It's amazing that this has been preserved all this time. But there's trash everywhere. It's a mikvah. 
like this mikveh on the Jordan, where some people say Yeshua was immersed by Yohanan or John the Baptist. Some mikvahs are in fresh water out in the open. Here's another mikvah. This was built by King Herod. This one was built down into the ground and fresh water had to be supplied to it down under the ground. This is typical of many of the mikvahs and typical of the one that we're looking at. This is the Qumran community of the Essenes in the Judean desert. On the right in this picture, you see the stairs going down into a mikvah of the Essenes. Many different groups among the Jews of the first century used mikvahs, just like the one that we're looking at here. It's very old. You can still see the ancient plaster of the mikvah and the construction of the mikvah even after thousands of years because it's constructed of stone and earthen materials, materials that uh, last a long time. People who used this mikvah, they prayed down here. Pottery sherds have been found down here. And look what was on them. Have you heard of the drawings of the menorah and the fish? They found those here. You see that? This was a jar to hold the oil. And you see the picture of the menorah and the fish together? Everyone knows that the menorah is the symbol of the Jews. But what about the fish? Well, the fish are a reference to the fish mentioned by Israel. The multitude of fish, the multitude of descendants from Israel. Really, the ten tribes that were scattered about throughout all the world that are still awaiting that time when a remnant of the ten tribes of Israel will be returned to the land. This is the work that was being done by the people who used this mikvah. And this is an oil jar that was discovered there. The early believers used oil like this uh, in their ministry, in prayer, to help people to be healed and to be forgiven. We talk about these artifacts quite a bit in an article that I wrote in 2006 at our website explaining this messianic seal and that this is actually the symbol of James, the brother of Yeshua and the early believers. This symbol was found in the very mikvah that we're looking at. This, in fact, is where these artifacts were found deep inside of this mikvah area. And this has been identified by these artifacts as being the mikvah that belonged to the early assembly of which James was the leader. We're looking 
here also and how this mikveh has been treated. It has been desecrated by vandals in the area. This is why it looks the way it does. It is constantly being used like a dump and being vandalized by those who are opposed to the mikveh. The Greek Orthodox actually oversee the site, and they're often abused in the area. It's said by the Jews in the area that this actually belonged to King David. This is where the water was, the cistern that they created under the water. This is what it looks like now, up above. It doesn't look like much, but this is a modern structure. This is actually what the mikvah probably looked like 2,000 years ago, with an upper structure built out of stone. And then you would go down from inside that structure into the mikvah to be immersed. Many thousands of believers were immersed in this place. Those early believers were Jewish. They weren't Christians. They were believers in Yeshua Messiah. I hope you enjoyed that. And I was just really impressed with this uh, material, just to have an opportunity to see this place. It's really quite an amazing thing. And it does impress on us the fact that Yeshua himself, his brother, James, and the other early believers, they weren't conceiving of this as a church. It's not a church building, even though it's characterized as that by some people. It's a mikvah, just like other Jewish mikvahs. But what's different about it is shown by the artifacts that were found there. And it's interesting that people identify this mikvah with David, because, of course, Yeshua and his family, including James, who was the leader of those early believers, they were all of the house of David. So if it was David's, wouldn't that kind of explain how that mikvah could end up in their hands? I think that's very interesting. In Acts chapter 2, it tells us what happened really within a matter of a few weeks after that message we were just looking at, and possibly days. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the believers who were gathered together in the same area where this mikvah was, by the way, in an upper room there. Yeshua had told them to wait and pray there and that the Holy Spirit would be poured out. And on Shavuot, they were all there. The city was full of people because, of course, that's one of the feasts. And there were people who had traveled in Jews from all over the Roman Empire that had come there for Shavuot 
and that heard the disciples when the Holy Spirit was poured out on them, and they started spreading out and speaking to people in their own language, not in Hebrew, but in whatever the language was from where those people were from. And everybody was amazed by this, and it caused a crowd to gather. And Peter, Kepha, spoke to them, and he explained what was happening. And then at the end of his very eloquent presentation, he said to them, let all the house of Israel therefore know certainly that Elohim has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Yeshua, whom you crucified. You know, this Peter that was afraid and denied Messiah, now he's standing in front of this huge crowd in Jerusalem pointing his finger at them and blaming them for the crucifixion of Messiah. Has he changed? This is what the Holy Spirit can do for a person, right? It can change you. And it changed all of them. No doubt he was still having those words of the Great Commission ringing in his ears. And he spoke. But who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the house of Israel. Did you notice that? That was the focus of that group there in Jerusalem. So what did they do after they heard all this? Well, it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the emissaries, brothers, what shall we do? (laughs) They weren't making excuses. They understood from what they had seen that this really was something that Yahweh had been doing in the midst of Israel, and they recognized their own guilt. And they were looking for a solution because they didn't want to be out of favor with Yahweh. They had really committed a grave error. Well, Peter told them what to do, Peter said to them, repent. Repent. That's the first step, isn't it? You have to be sorry for what you've done wrong, and to repent means to turn around. You have to take a different direction. Well, they had already started taking a different direction by asking, what should we do? So they were on the right track. Peter said to them, repent and be immersed, every one of you in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what they were witnessing, right? The Holy Spirit. Why do you think he explained all this out? That they needed to be immersed in the name of Yeshua the Messiah for forgiveness of sins, and they would receive the Holy Spirit? It's because there were so many mikvahs and there were different immersions, so he had to spell out to them exactly what being immersed meant in this context. And then he said, For the promise is to you and to your children, 
And to all who are far off, even as many as Adonai, our Elohim, will call to himself. So it's not just those people gathered there listening to Peter, but to you and your children. And it says, with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. What crooked generation was that? That was a generation that killed the Son of God. And he was concerned for them. He wanted them to be saved. And this was the way for them to do it. And then the account says, then those who gladly received his word were immersed. There were added that day about 3,000 souls. And you know what? There's a very high probability that those 3,000 souls gathered there in Jerusalem within steps of the place that we looked at went there to be immersed. Isn't that exciting? Well, what about these symbols of the early believers? What is all of that about, and how does that tie in to what was going on there in Jerusalem shortly after this go message went forth? This harkens back to Genesis chapter 48 where Jacob is blessing Joseph by blessing his two sons, Manasseh, the oldest, and Ephraim, the youngest. It tells us there in Genesis 48, Israel, the other name for Jacob, the name given by Yahweh, Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, and his left hand on Manasseh's head. Now this goes on, and it tells how Joseph tried to change the hands, because he thought that his poor old dad had kind of gone senile and had it wrong as to who was the oldest. But you know what? His dad was a little sharper than he thought he was, because it wasn't senility that was causing this. It was, in fact, the Holy Spirit causing him to move his hands in the way he did, and he assured Joseph of this, and then he gave a blessing. He blessed Joseph in blessing these two boys of Joseph. He says, the Elohim before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked the Elohim who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Bless the lads. Let my name be named on them. In other words, they would be called Israel. And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. Let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So, this is very interesting. Here, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all had this covenant with Yahweh. And now, Jacob was 
praying in this context over these two boys. And he said they would be called after him. In other words, they would be called Israel. And they would grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now, here's something interesting. The word here translated as grow means to become numerous, but in a certain way. It actually means moving by the vibratory action of the tail of a fish. Another source says it means the darting around of fish. How many eggs does one fish have? You know, they have hundreds of them, right? The fish of the sea. It's uh, an idiom for an uncountable number. This is what Jacob was saying, is that these boys who would have his name of Israel, they were going to have an uncountable number of offspring like fish. So you could translate this, let them multiply like fish into a multitude in the midst of the earth. In the midst of the earth. They would literally fill the earth. Israel, like fish, would fill the earth. Look at the Messianic symbol that's also on our Zion logo from when we started on the radio, by the way. This was our original logo when we started broadcasting on the radio in 2005. And, of course, we were ministering before that, but that's when our radio ministry started. And if we look at that, you can see on the top part, you have the menorah. Now, the menorah is the historic symbol of Israel. Even now, it's on a lot of their money and various official things. And then you have the fish. What do you think the fish would have meant to James and the other disciples? Well, do you think it would mean the Christian church? Probably not, since there was no church at that time. Nobody ever heard of a church. That's a word that was invented much later. Church buildings were invented much later. I doubt that they put that on there because they were thinking of a church. What they were thinking about is the words of Jacob that we just read. They were thinking about Israel, the multitude of Israel throughout the world. Why would they be thinking about that? Well, the Jews, as we've said, have the symbol of the menorah. Scattered Israel has the symbol of the fish. You see, if you know your history, your biblical history, you know that ten tribes broke away from the kingdom of Judah, and that the tribes are even sometimes called Ephraim and Israel, and they were deported because of their disobedience from the land by the Assyrians, and from there they have been scattered like fish 
throughout the world. And it's very possible and even likely that you are a descendant of some of them. That's just the fact, because there's been so many that have come from them. So that's what this symbol is about, of the fish scattered Israel. The scattered tribes being gathered together once again with Judah. Is this starting to ring a bell at all about biblical prophecy that talks about Judah and Israel being reunited again? That was the mission of those early believers. That was the mission of James. And where the two come together, what do you see? A star of David. That's what is to connect Judah to the house of Israel, the star of David. Now, today people think of the star of David as representing modern-day Israel. But it didn't start out that way. The star of David is called the star of David because it belonged to David. It's sometimes called the seal of Solomon as well. And you know what? It's used in the occult. Deal with it, all right? Satan takes stuff that belongs to us all the time and messes it up. And I'm not willing to let go of it, okay? He can't have this. It doesn't belong to him. It belongs to my father. And it belongs to the people of Yeshua Messiah. And this is our future. This symbol represents the word of all the prophets that scattered Israel would be reunited with Judah and it would be the house of David that would bind them together. And is that not why Yeshua the Messiah came? And he said, I've come to none but the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Didn't we read that in the book of Matthew? It's a whole different picture, friends, than the picture that's been painted by the church. Now, I'm not saying, and you shouldn't think from this, that I'm saying that there's no room for the Gentiles here, okay? But I am telling you, this is about Israel. This is not about building some Gentile organization called the church. This is about the kingdom of David. And if Gentiles want to be a part of this, they have to be joined up with Israel. That's what this is all about. Then they can be equal partners with the household of God. That's how it all started until the overwhelming numbers of Gentiles decided to cast off their Israelite leadership, and they started something else, which is why everything got so messed up. Look at this symbol. This is where we got to get back to, right? 
That's what all of our radio programs are really about. Our whole work is all about this. This is how it started. This is how it has to be completed. This is what it's all about. Well, we've been doing that work here at Zion, and you've been doing it with us, and we appreciate so much having you be a part with us. And, you know, I do get excited about some of these things. And the reason is I feel passionate about it. You know, in many ways, I feel like we've been robbed, to tell you the truth. This is what happened with the Gentile church. You know, they robbed our things from us. And I'm claiming it back again. Because we must do that. We must claim it back. If we're going to be who we're meant to be, if we're going to accomplish these things that our brothers back in the first century lived and died to accomplish. Who you are really matters. What you identify with really matters. Well, let's get back to mikvahs again. You know, we saw all these interesting mikvahs, and this most interesting one in Jerusalem Here's another one you might be interested in. We are privileged today to dedicate this mikvah. The waters speak to us of the living water that Yeshua Messiah promised to us that if anyone would take of that water, they would never thirst again. It would be a bubbling strain in them that could not be stopped. I believe that's what's going to happen here in this place. I think that this is a well of salvation to many, many people. That Yahweh will bring them to this place to make an offering of themselves to Him. And that they will be filled with the living water and they will overflow and share that water with many others. And I believe... That is how Yahweh is going to rebuild his remnant nation. Times of repentance. People coming. Loaded down with sins. Their own sins. The sins of the past. The sins of their ancestors. The sins of this nation or whatever nation they're in. And they will come and through Yeshua Messiah's blood, that incredible weight of sin will be washed away from them. 
we're going to start with you, Solomon. Come on in. <laughs> Give me a hand, buddy. Just don't pull me over. Do you renounce Satan and all his works and this world? Do you repent on behalf of your nation and your tribe and your clan and even your family and yourself? Do you receive Yeshua Messiah to be your Lord and Savior? then you should be immersed. Now, this is what you do. Hold your nose. No, pinch, pinch your nose with your hand. Hold on here, like that. So now, you're going to be immersed. <laughs> there you go. Receive the Holy Spirit. You put your trust in Yeshua Messiah as your Lord and Savior then you should be immersed. Other hand too. Watch it nice and, okay, here we go. There you go. Whoop. <laughs> Didn't quite make it, gotta go again. Okay. I'm sorry, all right. All right. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, I think we've got everybody. Is there anybody I missed? Well, that concludes our immersions. I think we'll just have some music and enjoy being together. Thanks, everybody, for being here. This was the dedication of our mikvah in 2015. And uh, as you can see, we're moving forward with these things that Yahweh has said to us, we take this go message pretty seriously around here. We built that. Now, it's not made out of stone and all of that. And part of the reason for that is we're not expecting it to have to last 2,000 years. These are the last days. You know, we need it basically to hold together long enough to get our work done. And so it's made with contemporary materials to accomplish the purpose that we have, and it's very adequate for that. But what's really important about our mikvah is that it truly is a holy place. It has been dedicated to this use. It's been dedicated to our Lord, Yeshua Messiah. And a lot of good things have happened there already. And we hope that someday you might come and be a part also with the good things coming out of that place, that mikvah. Stay tuned. Eliyahu has more to share in the book of Matthew after this short break.
The restoration of the remnant of Israel is one of the most undertaught, neglected, and unknown major events in Bible prophecy. A strange fact, since prophecies and references to this event can be found all throughout almost every major book of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Now, Yahweh has raised up Zion ministry to teach his remnant nation of Israel everything they need to know about this often neglected truth in his perfect timing. To learn who the remnant of Israel is, what the Zion mission is, and why we teach the things we do, go to our website at zion.org and click the remnant vision in the menu bar. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot O-R-G. Zion Road, the only way home.
We talked earlier about Jacob and about what happened when he was blessing Joseph and Joseph's sons. And it's kind of interesting, these words in Genesis 48, 14 through 16. Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, his left hand on Manasseh's head. He blessed Joseph and said, The Elohim before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the Elohim who has fed me all my life, the angel who had redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, let my name be named on them and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. Let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So we see this is really all about Israel. It's all about the covenant that God made with Israel, and it's just continuing on these things. So it wasn't a new thing that happened when those early believers who had put their trust in Messiah continued on with what they were doing. It had a new quality to it because of what Messiah had just done. But it was still Israel, and it was still working out the promises and the covenants that God had made with Israel. Now, as he went on here in Genesis, Jacob said specifically about Ephraim, his seed shall become a multitude of nations. Perhaps you've read that before. And it goes along with this idea of the fish, doesn't it? Like multitude, a great number. Well, the word here For multitude, the Hebrew word actually means fullness. And the word for nations here actually means Gentile. So it's Gentiles in the plural. So you could literally read this verse, and it means exactly this in Hebrew. His seed shall be the fullness of the Gentiles. Why am I bringing that up to you? Well, because Paul uses this term in the book of Romans chapter 11. You know, a lot of times people say, well, certain Christian scholars say that Paul was at odds with James. Really not so. And when you read this, you'll see that they were very much on the same page. Paul was very familiar with that messianic seal and what it meant. And you'll see that reading this. He says, now this is the conclusion of his argument there. For I don't desire you to be ignorant, brothers. He's talking here to the Gentile believers now. I don't desire you to be ignorant, brothers, of this mystery, so that you won't be wise in your own conceits. In other words, you won't start thinking you're better than the Jews the unbelieving Jews, that is. That a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. What is Paul really saying there when he says the fullness of the Gentiles? Is he just meaning Gentile people in general? coming into the kingdom? 
It's not what he's talking about there. Because this phrase, as we've seen, comes specifically from the book of Genesis, from the words of Jacob. And this has to do with Ephraim, with whom the scattered Israelites are identified. The ten-tribe kingdom was called the kingdom of Ephraim, in fact. So what Paul was talking about is the scattered remnant of Israel. And he's saying that this partial hardening, in other words, unbelief among many in Israel, would continue until the remnant of Israel would come in to the kingdom. Isn't that something? Paul understood that. You'll find they were talking a lot about the remnant and what the church has taught people, it's all about the church. They don't understand these prophecies, okay? But these prophecies are about something. You can't just divorce what Paul said here from the source that he was drawing from. The words of Jacob in the Torah that he's so familiar with. And look at where this goes. See, the fullness of the Gentiles come in. So all Israel will be saved. And then he quotes prophetically, saying, even as it is written, there will come out of Zion the deliverer, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant to them where I will take away their sins. Well, the deliverer will come out of Zion. Zion is the headquarters of David's government. The deliverer is the Messiah of the house of David. And this is just what happened, isn't it? He came out of Zion to turn away ungodliness from Jacob, that is, from Israel. That's his mission. He said that was his mission. That's our mission, too. And he says, this is my covenant to them when I will take away their sins. In other words, the renewed covenant to take away the sins of Israel. When scattered Israel sees that, and they repent and are immersed and enter into the kingdom of Israel, then the fullness of the Gentiles will have come in to Israel. And then all Israel will be saved. So when it says all Israel, who does it mean? It means Judah. It means Ephraim. In other words, scattered Israel, the scattered remnant. And it means grafted in Gentiles. If there are such people, I'm not even sure there are any. Because the scattering and intermixing of Israel has been so great throughout the world, there might really not be any people who are not mixed in with Israel. But let's say there are some 
even those people can become part of Israel by being grafted in. And then they're just as much Israel as the others. But for that to happen, for us to get to that spot, the remnant of Israel has to come in first. Okay, that's the big thing that's got to happen here. Now, a lot of people look at the regathering of the remnant of Israel, and they say, oh, well, Messiah is going to do that after he returns. Is that what Paul thought? You see, <laughs> it can't happen that way. The remnant have to come in first before all Israel can be saved, before there can be a great harvest of the earth. A lot hinges on the remnant. Ephraim, okay, the fullness of the nations coming back in, being rejoined under Yeshua Messiah with Israel. That's why in Revelation chapter 7, it tells us about the 144,000 sealed out of every tribe of the children of Israel. It's talking about the remnant of Israel, and these are their leaders, the 144,000 in the final generation. And in the same chapter, it goes on, and we see a great multitude out of every nation coming in. That's the all Israel we're talking about, right? So you have a return of the Jews, many Jewish people, to Yeshua. We have the 144,000 and the rest of the remnant of Israel, the fullness of the nations coming in. And then we have this great harvest that's going to happen. And everything's going to be set right, okay? This whole idea about this Gentile church thing, that'll be all over. There will be no rapture of the church, friends. Forget that. The church is a man-made organization, and it just doesn't figure into this prophecy. It figures in a little later in Revelation when Babylon the Great is destroyed. That is largely the church and the rest of the world religions that are joined in with the organized church, which by that time will have fully metastasized into absolute evil and apostasy. And it's well on its way now. It will be the Israel, renewed Israel of Yeshua Messiah, that will be representing him in the earth, as we see here in the book of Revelation. This is our future. This is where all Israel, including the Gentiles, will be saved. Vitally, vitally important information for us to understand that because of where we're at in the stream of time. We're very deep into this final generation. And these things must happen. So we're looking at great changes going on. It may seem like little things, you know, our little group here in Texas having a mikvah might not look like much. Don't you believe it? 
Don't you believe it? A little baby in a manger in Bethlehem didn't look like much to most people. When Yahweh is starting something, a lot of times it looks very little. But if he is in it, then it can become something of great importance. And, you know, that's what Go is all about. We believe him, right? He tells us to go, and we don't know what's going to happen. We do know the prophecies, what they say, but we don't know all the details of how it will unfold in our life as we step forward. But why do we do it? We do it because we love him, because we feel a moral imperative to do what he says to us, and we do it because he said it. (laughs) Do we need any other reason? And we just believe him that he's going to be there. And then, you know what? What has happened for every disciple throughout time that has taken that message seriously and they have stepped forward? They've found that he is with them. And things happen. They see it happen. Miracles happen in their lives. And they see people become disciples, Talmudim, and come to love Messiah as they do. And this has been going on for a long time. Not everybody has had the knowledge that Messiah has been so gracious to pour out upon us here in these last days. But he's teaching us these things for a reason. It's because of what he's doing in these days. He wants us to understand how important the remnant of Israel really is in his plan, and that we need to make that an important part of our life. It's really part of this Go message. You know, back in 2011, we were going great guns here. We... We're building on this property, and we were very excited about the message. And very unexpectedly, we had a fire go through and burn down the whole thing. You're going to have adversity, friends. We have an enemy, and he wants to stop us. And if you get serious about the go message, You take it to heart. If you don't know this already, you will find out that we have an enemy who is very determined. And sometimes, you know what? You're going to take some slings and arrows. You're going to take some licks. It's going to happen. We had that happen. But you know what? We're soldiers. We've been battle-hardened in many respects. So. We took that in stride, to tell you the truth. And we just started up again. And the day, the very day that we came back on to our 
battle-scarred property, which really had been turned into ashes. The day we came back on the property, on that very day, a prophet showed up that we didn't know, but Yahweh sent him. And very interestingly, he had a go message. And I can't talk to you about the go message without talking to you about my personal go message. That for me, goes right along with this go message. Now that's a lot of goes, isn't it? I'm going to share it with you. And I'm going to share it with you. Now it says some things where... My sharing this with you, you might think, wow, that's out of personal pride that you're doing that, and that's a real turnoff. Well, if you think that, I can't change your mind. But the reason I want to share it with you isn't that. I want to share it with you because I want to impress on you that what Messiah said is true. When he says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, that is true. And just like as we're going through the book of Matthew, we see Messiah doing things with real people, right? And changing them and accomplishing things. We see Peter standing up there before all of the Israelites and putting it on the line by the power of the Holy Spirit. If the remnant are going to be gathered here in this day, Don't we have to have some things like that happen? Don't we have to hear words from heaven? We just read about that in the book of Matthew, right? Angels talking to the women, giving instructions what to do. Messiah giving instructions what to do. Shouldn't we have that happen now? at the end of the age, if the remnant really is going to be gathered and all of these things that have been promised are going to happen? That's why I'm sharing this with you. Because this is news. You need to know and understand that Messiah is at work to accomplish these promises. And you know what? In a certain respect, It's a burden. Now, I don't mean a burden as in something that is negative. I'm just saying a challenge. You know, when Yeshua showed up, right, after he'd been killed and he was raised, it says some doubted. In our old nature, Our nature is to doubt, even when we see God working right in front of us. And this is still true. This is the big battle we all have. Messiah is speaking to us today. He is speaking to me today. Am I going to believe enough every day to go? What about if I have a down day? What if I have a day where somebody says that I'm senile? What if I have a day when somebody says, oh, well, that can't be true? Am I still going to go? Am I still going to believe? What about you? You know, that's what these words are saying to me. 
that I'm going to share with you. This is the big challenge for me to believe them and to act according to them, which is what I chose to do. And for you, you'll have to decide what this means to you. Let's uh, just listen to this. Yeah, I gave me seven words. He gave me seven words concerning you. The first word was came, and this is what he wrote after that. You are going to come to a different place than you've ever been before. You came when I told you to come. You have followed my teaching. You have led many by teaching them. Come back to the place you started. Act as my son, for you are. Second word was trust. He said, come here before me because you will need to hear me better than you ever have before. You've come so far, but you must go further. Many are depending upon you to hear my voice. You are my son whom I am well pleased. You shall become a greater man of God than you ever imagined. Trust completely. Third word was town. They shall run from the cities to the places where they cannot be harmed. They think it is in towns, but it is not the place. I'm calling them home to my dwelling house in my town. Lead them to my house. The next word is sight. You have the gift to see. They cannot see. You are their eyes. I made their eyes to see and their ears to hear, but that is different. See for them. Tell them where to go through the darkness that is coming on the earth. The next word was go. Go, my son, take with you all my power, dominion, and authority. Wreak havoc on the enemy. Make many more like you. Put this in your memory that in big, bold words that an enemy came to destroy you. Now it's time to wreak havoc on his kingdom. The next word is command. An officer commands and gathers great sorrows in his wake because he sees his troops fight and die. You must look at this differently, my son. We will win. You are commanding my army. Slaughter the enemy in front of you. It is something you must accept. You are my commander. The next word he gave me was authority. Governance with power. You shall lead many people with this authority, for there is a position. I am bringing my children back to my land where all authority is given. No one earns this unless they earn this through my will. Your authority is to lead them back, and you will. What I see is almost like a seal and a book or a stamp that you've given authority to open up and, and grant or seal up. It's pure authority. He's giving you that, and your name's written in a book, and this is your position. Well, let's get very real about this together, okay? The truth is, from my point of view, I think there's a lot of people who would be better for this than me. That's what I really think. There's people who are smarter than me. There are people who are better than me. And that's how I feel. But you know what? I'm the one with this appointment. That's it. Does it really matter what I think or what you think? 
about me, about whether I'm the right one. Because you know what? It's not an election. We're not going to be holding an election. It's not a democracy in the kingdom. We have a king already. His name is Yeshua Messiah. So this is what he told me. And I have to deal with this every day. You know, I'm just thinking, what can I really say to you about what that means to me? You know, it's the biggest challenge I've ever faced. It is all new territory. You know, this is what he was talking about here. He said, you're, you're going to a place you've never been before. Well, every day is a place I've never been before now. He said that I'm his commander and that I'm going to lead his people home. Well, that's a very humbling statement. If from that statement you think that means I know how that's going to happen, you're very wrong. Yes, I do know the scriptures. I do see what Messiah is doing, but did Moses know that Yahweh was going to part the Red Sea? How do you think he felt as he was being backed up with the whole house of Israel against the seashore? He knew Yahweh would do something, right? He didn't know exactly what it would be. Well, I haven't had that happen yet, but I've had some things that, for me, were kind of equivalent to that. You know, he said, I'm his commander. And if you've gone through the Midrash with us, you've seen this title come up. Specifically in the book of Numbers, the heads of all the tribes are called commanders. It's a common term for someone who's meant to be the leader. So, you know, it has kind of a different meaning, but it's somebody who's the leader. And Yeshua Messiah is the commander, like the commander, right? And we all know that. And I certainly know that. But what we see in the book of Numbers and for how things work in the house of Israel is that there are levels of commanders. That's how Israel works. To move in holy array, you must have an organized structure, and we're working on that. But the role that he's put me in, by what he said to me, is a role that is very equivalent to the role of James in the first century. I see that. Which is not to say that I think that I'm as good a man as James. I really think that you could pick the names of All of my heroes from the scriptures.
You could write their name on a piece of paper. You could put all those names in a hat. And anyone that you picked out of the hat would be a better man than me. So, why am I doing this? For his glory, not my glory. He chooses what's small in this world so that when he does something great, you'll know it's him. He's going to do this. He has. And I'm just going to tag on to his coattails the very best I can. Do the best I can every day. And let him be who he is. And what I believe is that I'll keep becoming a better man. You'll keep becoming a better person. And Israel will keep becoming a better nation. And we'll get to this place. We will get to this place where we will be ready. Where we will be ready as a nation to go home in the remnant exodus and to accomplish all of the things that he has in mind for us. And this is what is important his glory in the earth. This is what matters. This is kind of what I came to. This is the end of the age, and he is with us. We are making disciples right here at Zion right now, and I know many of you are part of that. He is raising up the remnant of Israel, and he will bring that work all the way to conclusion. Just as he promised. It's his promise, not my promise. I just believe it. At the right time, he is going to bring us back to our land. He promised that. And you know what? He told me that I will lead us back. So I believe that, and I'm acting on that every day. And when that happens, the world will see it, because it will involve miracles, and the world will be in awe of his great name, and many people will see that the God of Israel is not just some fictitious tribal God of some ancient book, but that he truly is real and that he is the creator of the universe. And this will open up the way for the final harvest of the earth into his kingdom. And finally, all of you within the sound of my voice have a stake in all of this. Because there is no other group of people that really gets this that really understands this. For some reason, you were drawn here. I have to believe that's because of his purpose. So, all of that being true, 
The message is to go. Been listening to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Some of the scriptures referenced in this program are Acts chapter 2, Genesis chapter 48, Matthew chapter 15, verse 24, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, Romans 11, and Revelation chapter 7. Further teachings and study materials on immersion or baptism, the Messianic seal, Genesis 48 and the Multitude of Nations, The Fullness of the Gentiles, Disciples or Talmudim, God's Commandments, Eliyahu's Midrash on the Torah, The Remnant of Israel in Bible Prophecy, Babylon the Great in Bible Prophecy, The 144,000 of Revelation chapter 7, The Great Harvest of the Earth, Zion and the House of David in Scripture, Zion Ministry, Eliyahu ben David, and the prophecy he received in 2011, the history behind the Gentile and Jewish schisms, along with many other related topics, can all be found at our membership site, Zion Tabernacle. All Zion Tabernacle members can join us for Zion Fast Track, which covers most of these topics in an organized way. So why not sign up and check it out? Sign up is free. Just go to zion.net. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot N-E-T. New programs on the Gospels will be airing every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio. Tune in next Shabbat to learn more from Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Shabbat Shalom! Shalom!